ladies and gentlemen, welcome. We are very honored that uh, you guys are sh sharing your information with us today. Um, some of us know a lot of you, and a lot of you guys know about us. Um, so we're going to begin um, by describing a little bit about what this space is about, uh, who we are, and then we're going to go around the table, say our name, where we're from, if you want to say where you work, that's fine too. Um, the objective today is we at the Metabolic Studio, we want to learn more about your history with water, your water rates, the water works that uh, uh, the Paiute had developed 150 years ago here. And unfortunately, we won't be screening Paiute really for unforeseen circumstances, but that should not bum us out. We should definitely continue to develop this relationship. Um, this is uh, our first dialogue, our first conversation that we want to begin with you uh, because we really want to learn the issues here in Romans Valley. Okay? Okay? So, um, this space is an emerging space. Um, it, it is part of a metabolic studio and right next door is the Gertrude Stein uh, museum or space or salon where we hold space for people in the community. If you want to have a meeting with anyone, you are welcome to use the space. Uh, we can you we can you guys can contact Jen Rozier or Nancy Prather, um, and we can definitely forward that information at a later time. I can get that information to Terry, and then she can forward it tomorrow. Um, so we are Metabolic Studio, Lauren Bond. The Brett Timini is the artist and the director of the Metabolic Studio. And um, my name is Millie Mason Ward. And um, let's see what else did I miss. Uh, if anybody wants to use the bathroom, the bathroom is right over there in the corner. Um, we, we can pick up after we're done having a conversation. Uh, we'll collect your plates at the end of, of the evening. And um, and if you want another taco before you leave, go ahead and grab one. We're about to leave in a few minutes. If anybody wants to grab another drink, uh, please go ahead and grab another drink out there. Um, we have water, huh? Yes, we have water. Does anybody else want water? Anyone else wants? Okay. One, two, three, four, five, six. Um, our colleague Meredith is, is wrapping up her last dish out there, and uh, we'll be getting about um, three to five minutes if that's okay. Well, thank you for dinner. So these are um, Los Hermanos. This is their taco truck, and they actually began their business at the Island Garden that we host, that we hosted for many years here at the Corner. Yeah, yeah, right there. Yeah, where we used to have garden, uh, we used to have garden education programs. We had hundred conversations about water with the community here, and then we developed um, the bread oven. And from the bread oven, Los Isidros wanted to start baking and making their tortillas, and from that, that's what they made a beautiful business, which is now Los Hermanos, and they have their taco truck, and their taco truck uh, stand is just a block down. So if you guys enjoy their taco, come on back to Lohan, and they 
sit on the environmental advisory board for my tribe, and I was elected on also to the Owens Valley Indian Water Commission, where I'm the vice chair. I sit as vice chair underneath Monty, Mr. Chair. So thank you for having us. And it's a peaceful and warming spot here. So. Adam Marubo, County Water Commission, and I'm the environmental assistant. I've been with the Water Commission for 13 years. I'm one of you, Shannon Romero, I'm the Big Prime Party Tribe Chairwoman, and I also sit on the Old County Water Commission as their secretary. Thanks for having me. Jesse Archer, I'm the secretary for the Old Valley Indian Water Commission. Big Yes, big pie driver with yeah. so. yeah. Oh, what about that? Yeah, that too. What too? 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 water and the connection between Owens Valley and Los Angeles and, and all the other places that Los Angeles gets its water from. So, mm -hmm. Hello everybody, my name is Chris. Uh, Chris Hoak, I live in Bishop and I'm from Bishop. I'm a tribal member in Bishop. Uh, <coughs> what else? Something about Bishop. Something about Bishop. No. Uh, yeah, I'm a member of Bishop, but I feel like I'm just a, a member of this community at large. My, my dad worked here in Holmheim for over a decade at the clinic in the res, um, as well as in Bishop for a long time. Uh, Since the beginning. Since the beginning. Wow. What does that mean? He's like the first white guy doctor to get brain out here? Get brain out here? I work with people. Can you work with people? Yeah, get paid nothing to, to help people, I guess. Yeah. And then get help. So Sounds he... like an artist. <laughs> yeah, he, he acts like an artist. <laughs> 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 I never thought of that. He needs to do more art. What about the radio? Tell us a little bit about the radio. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, so I, I, I guess I consider myself, if anything, like an artist and community organizer. And, uh, one of those projects that had, that's, she's probably three, maybe four years in the making, I'll say three, um, is our, our radio station in Bishop. I met Meredith and Millie sometime ago through Kathy. And I uh, went to LA and I saw them at a book studio. And uh, I also got, I think it was Mr. Rochelle or Rachel. It was Rochelle that I spoke to specifically about the radio station and, and asked me to submit a grant for the radio station before I was on tribal council, before I served a two year term on tribal council. And uh, <clears throat> that was just organizing. And uh, we got it, and they, they, you guys gave us money. And then I got elected, and nothing happened with the money. <laughs> And then, uh, then I got off council and the money started moving again. <laughs> and, uh, and now it's about to start, but, you know, three years later. So, May 23rd, that will be live. Thank you for that. Um, and that's, yeah, man, I went to council for that. Radio yeah. station, I'm super excited about it. I, I believe that what you guys are doing, at least in certain things like that, have a very, uh, a very direct and indirect ripple effect on a lot of people's consciousness is here and beyond. So I'm all about positive propaganda and, and enlightening our people. So mm -hmm. however, however that needs to happen. And growing things. 
Yeah. And becoming sovereign and, and self-sufficient. So I'm trying to learn how to grow things. So I need to hang out with you. Yeah. Thanks for sharing. Um, I'm Meredith Appleman, and I've been working with Lauren in the studio for a little over seven years. And at that time, I also started working up here when we first put in the Iowa Garden. So um, I've been coming here the whole time and really uh, work around issues of soil and growing food, but also very um, involved in water issues and uh, working with Lauren in the studio trying to bring consciousness to folks in L.A. about what their water use is doing up here and um, a lot of other things, but yeah. And I, I spend a lot of time with Kathy and Jen. <coughs> I've known you for a long time, so yeah, Monty. Mm -hmm. Thank you for um, organizing this, Millie. And, and Terry. And Terry. <laughs> um, good evening, relatives. My name is Monty. Good with you. Uh, I guess I've been, uh, first of all, let me say thank you to the Metabolic Studio for, uh, you know, I guess inviting me down or, you know, through the, you know, being part of the Owens Valley Indian Water Commission and, and I'm also been involved with the uh, Bishop Tribal Food Sovereignty Project, so I want to thank Metabolic Studio for funding us and thank Kathy for, you know, bringing me in the loop somewhat. Uh, back, I don't know how many years ago when you went down to the silos, uh, mm -hmm. it's been a while. But that's where I first got to know about the metabolic studio, and, and uh, you know, I, I, sometimes being being uh, uh, I've been, I feel blessed that I've been trained uh, by the best community organizers in the Western States, a group called NACTA. Uh, two of them are, are have left us, and there's one guy. He's a white guy. Uh, my good friend Andy Anderson is uh, is still around, but uh, NACTA Institute, Native American Training Associates Institute, was. The group I'm talking about as uh, uh, back in the 70s and, and 80s that were uh, they were just involved in Indian activism pretty pretty, pretty heavily in the, in the state and one guy you guys might know Chris Peters of Seventh Generation Fund mm -hmm. and I'd like to acknowledge uh, that that you know that's, I think that it's got us all around the table with their philosophy the Haudenosaunee or the Six Nations people. Where they look at looking way down the road, seven generations, to to before we make our decisions, our deliberations that will consider the impacts of our future. So I like using that, and that's what I I uh, like to acknowledge uh, that that think and that philosophy. And uh, again, thank you, Ball Studio, for letting us come in. I guess you guys are picking up the tab. No one's asking for. No, you have to go to the top my name is Rachel. I'm an artist. I live in Los Angeles, and I met Lauren in 2010-2011, and I started working for the studio, and she introduced me to this area, and I just fell in love with it, and um, a lot of my work I do deals with land and with clay and with um, just uh, my relationship to land, and I don't think that I really developed that. I kind of later in life it came to me. I grew up in the suburbs, and so... In my uh, late 30s, I kind of um, 
started to develop a real relationship with land. So I'm just uh, honored to be here. Uh, my name is Lou Pesci, and I work in the Oak Studio, and have been for the last seven years. Um, the first couple of years, um, I was working primarily in this space behind this room right here, because in this courtyard and the adjacent open space is where the IOU Garden began uh, in 2009, and, uh, and was helping uh, Lauren and the studio establish uh, a food growing and soil building program. In the last five years, I've been assisting Lauren in the studio uh, with our philanthropic efforts and um, our, um, our water projects that are based uh, in relationship to the LA River. And most recently, we're, we're working on a, a, a large project um, of bending the, the LA River back into the city, uh, which is uh, adjacent to our studio. Um, and uh, so a lot of our efforts have been uh, focused on on water in relationship to that location and um, its relationship to Owens Valley as from the source of the water. Hi, I'm Rochelle Fab, and I've been coming to Owens Valley thanks to Lauren since 2007. And that's when I first met Kathy and that's when I first met Monty when we were all working to clean out and transform um, KPG into a community space. And our first community engagement activity up here was teaching the community and actually learning together because none of us knew how to do it, how to play uh, wine glasses with water in them. <laughs> and so we did a, a glass orchestra, a glass and water orchestra of people from Los Angeles and people from Owens Valley. And it was pretty awesome. We used to come up twice a month um, and do rehearsals in PPG in a yurt. It was cold. We would make warm cider together and have food and you know we all learned together how to play somewhere over the rainbow and Monty remembers the Wizard of Oz uh, story at that time which we were investigating taking a look at the Wicked Witch in Los Angeles and DWP and Owens Valley and, and that whole tale which is an ongoing story we were talking about that and it's been amazing and so that was one of my first community engagements we did a concert together we had buses of people coming from LA buses of people coming down from Mammoth and we had a full day um, performance experience together of all the communities getting to know each other. And then I stayed involved in Lauren's IOU series up here in the Owens Valley, working on a lot of the uh, performative projects. I've got a theater background, so I've been working with the radio plays. And that's something that Lauren uh, wanted to launch in 2014, and it's really caught on. It's been really fun. We thought we'd do a couple, and now we've done over 10. And uh, the last one we did was last night, and it was a um, young man who grew up in Montpellier, who's 22 years old, who wrote and directed a play about what it's like to grow up in Montpellier, mm -hmm. and whether you stay or whether you go, and what the benefits are, and what the pitfalls are of family and needs, and other things that might keep you keep you closer to home. So I've also worked on some of Lauren's other water projects, including projects in Detroit, where we've been also following closely the water situation there, with the shutoffs, and the infrastructure, um, and so... Yeah, involved on many different levels and really happy to be here with you guys tonight. I'm Jen Rosa, and I'm working for Lauren in the Metabolic Studio. We started working together on the 100 Mills Walking Los Angeles Africa, and we live just north of Independence. And I'm Kathy Jefferson, Jen <coughs> Kraut. I think I know everybody here. <laughs> <laughs> I've been a long time. But 
But I just want to thank Ms. Malik-Studios and all you guys because not only for all the help you give to our community, but for bringing all these people up here because I've grown to call a lot of them my best friends. So thanks. <coughs> I'm Lauren. Um, in 2001, I had just moved here to uh, Los Angeles from London with the then five-year-old Maya and her eight-year-old brother. And coming from Europe to Los Angeles was very disappointing. The city didn't make any sense to me. So we got a we got a uh, Eurovan and we started driving around the home and I found myself in Alabama Hills. And I thought, okay, this place makes sense. <laughs> and we started coming up here a lot. And the thing that made sense to me was the silence of the place. I don't know that there was any place that I've ever been where you could sit in those rock formations and see for long, long distances and find a kind of quiet that you could almost hear the sound of the blood going through your own veins and have little kids run far away being chased by a beautiful golden retriever and know that you could see them but you could also feel your own life force in that space and I started to feel something that I learned to call ancestors there and um, I, I feel that I'm here for a reason, and part of that reason is to be teachable. So I've learned so much over the years from all the people that I've met up here, and it's such a privilege to sit at this table with all of you. What brings me here now is a, is a question that I have, which is how to make sense of a very strange thing that's happened to me, <laughs> which is that I've received the first private water right in the city of Los Angeles. It's a funny thing because I didn't even really know what a water right was. I thought water was a human right. <laughs> I thought that I, I didn't understand how complicated, you know, water is. And I also didn't understand that water rights come without consciousness either. Like the people I know who have water who really appreciate it talk to their water, give gifts to their water, understand that water is a, has a life force. It's not something that just comes out of a tap and then mysteriously goes away if you flush a toilet. It's actually, it's actually something that requires attention and so does all of the things that we give water to from growing our food and growing our medicine. I've learned all of that from almost everybody here today, you know, have been my teachers. So what's really the essence of this first meeting here is to try and figure out whether my water right, which is something that's given to me so that I can give it the water that I have a right to to the city of LA. So they're giving me a water right so they can have for free uh, the water they're letting me have a right to. So it's not really a gift per se, it's a, um, it's a opportunity for me to deliver uh, water to a network of parks around the Metabolic Studio. So 
it occurred to me that a conversation may want to be had about an IOU. Well, if I take the water right you're giving me and give you the water that you're allowing me to take, perhaps you can give some water back or allow some water to stay in the Owens Valley. And so the amount of water that I have a right to is 100 acre feet. And so I'm looking to make sense of that through a series of conversations of which this is the first. And it felt important to start with the people whose land and water we're taking to begin with. And that's, you know, the tribal people whose home is this valley. So that's, that's kind of what, what this is all about tonight. Hi, I'm Maya. I'm Lauren's daughter. Um, I'm an environmental studies major at Lewis and Clark College. Um, I feel really passionate about reconciling the fact that I exist in this time that where environmental degradation and human oppression is a part of the system that we exist in every day. Um, I feel strongly that this needs to change in a lot of ways. Um, recently becoming more involved in, you know, different organizations, socialism and Black Lives Matter issues and All Lives Matter issues and just really trying to figure out how to be alive right now with all of the scary and scary things going on. Uh, and I'm super excited about being here. Um, water is, you know, has a lot to do with the environment, that blanket term that I'm studying. Um, and yeah, I feel super blessed to get to hear what everyone has to say and hopefully, you know, see how to move forward myself and be involved with whatever the studio and whatever every, everyone is doing. <laughs> so, it's a pleasure. Gentlemen in the back. Peanut gallery. <laughs> yeah. My name is Dave Van. I'm in the peanut gallery back here. Uh, I uh, worked with Lauren at Metabolic Studio for five years and done a variety of things up here. Uh, you know, last night I was helping out with the IOU radio broadcast, but just as a, an observer, I'm definitely uh, always interested in, in history. That's what I studied in school, and you know, history of the valley, and just delving deeper than my base knowledge. And so I hope to gather a bit more um, info and I'm just curious about uh, conversation tonight just as a general observer and just learning how to make a uh, make use of new information and make a positive impact with that in the future so I'm <laughs> <laughs> uh, Rich Nielsen and I work with the studio as well and uh, I'm super happy to be here. I can't wait to hear what y'all have to say. Hi, I'm Tristan. I 
I guess I missed all of your introductions. <laughs> but uh, I also work with the studio and do a lot of stuff with photography with Lauren. So we're, we're very interested to hear what the community has to say and learn a little more about another classic. So, this is very informal, you know, um, we can start with whoever wants to begin. We basically want to learn what are your challenges, um, what are your legal water issues that are currently happening, um, and have you guys come up with any solutions to those, to those challenges that you guys are currently facing. I'm sure those of us that are also sitting at the table have probably other questions, but can I interrupt before we start? How's the temperature? Because I, I turned the fan off because it's noisy, but if you guys want the fan on. Well, maybe we can open the front door again. It's now that it's not so. Do you it's think it's a good Okay, Okay, So, if I start, Lauren. Yes. You say they're uh, giving you 100 acres each. Yeah. And then. To give away. So, 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 so you have water a, to give away. You have a well, or is that just what. No, I'm putting a dam in the LA River downtown and building a water wheel to lift the water out of the LA River, clean it, and distribute it to a network of parks. So I won't have a well, and I won't be holding on to the water on the site. But you talked about giving it back to the Orange Valley somehow. I talked about starting a conversation about how my water right could be used to leverage a conversation with the LADWC <coughs> to um, reciprocate the gift of the water I'm giving back to them in some way here. So you know about how many gallons of water that 100 acre feet pertains? Yeah. It's weird because a lot of people don't know it. <clears throat> I think that's really important that people know what what gallons are in an acre feet because they, it's really easy to see a paper that says twenty thousand acre feet. You think, oh, I mean, that's not bad. But when you, when you think about it, it's what like, does it mean? Yeah, yeah, it's like six point five million gallons of water. A billion, a billion gallons of water. Yours, a hundred acre feet, is about. That's 32,585,094.3 gallons of water. Which, I mean, think about it. It's nothing to sneeze at. No, I mean, <laughs> it's like 100 acre feet doesn't sound like much. You know, when we look, think about it as gallons, though, yeah. it's, it's, it it's, ama it's amazing when you kind of bring it down for, uh, for people that don't know. Yeah. Because I know if I went around in my reservation, I asked probably 100 households how many gallons are roughly an acre foot? I I'd say maybe two could probably answer to give me the, the uh, a roundabout figure to it, which is 326,000 I'll be acceptable for the answer, you know, to me. But it's it's just that's very considerate of you to do, you know. I mean, to think about something like that, but it's hard working with you, in opinion, you know. It's they've. They feel that they own the property, they own what's on the property, and and I see it a lot. Yeah. You know, I've been going to a lot of these uh, tech meetings and static committee meetings, and it's amazing what they want to do. You know, 
asked them, I said, you know, uh, and they said, well, it's our job to take the water. I mean, that, is that, that what they say? What is it? They'll actually say it's our that, job to the, take the water. Yeah, they actually told me that. Yeah. And, and one of the managers told me that. And I said, well, it's our job to try to keep it here. Right, and we don't get paid for that. So, 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 so I mean, it's like I, I, I'd like to people to understand because you know where I live in Big Pine, we're the most pumped out of the whole Owens Valley, out of the whole long-term water agreement. We get, we sacrifice the most, and they do a 20-year projection seat of what's being recharged and what's being brought out and, and in 20 years I mean, we could have had some great years in the beginning but it still hasn't doing a lot but since 07 and now which I wish they would shorten that up but in the long term water agreement it's a 20 year you know what they have to do so but where the recharge is less than what's being pumped out so we're, we're losing a lot more and it's you can see the difference you know and um and they say 20,000 20, acre feet is the minimum they pump for the pumping year. And that's a lot of water. 6.5 billion gallons of water. I mean, it's, it's kind of, but I mean, just a lot of people don't realize that. That's why I'm just saying. So you, you understand, though, like how many gallons are in your foot? Yeah. I understand what it can and it can't do, but part of the function of this space is to talk about that because I know that the packing community um, and people who um, have animals have a similar kind of dilemma, you know. Have, they, they can quantify how much water they need in order to maintain their lifestyle and their livelihood. And it sometimes doesn't make sense economically to continue that lifestyle if the DWP doesn't, you know, it's like a loss Right. Business. Well, that's what I heard just recently about that. The, one of the head of the guys that does agriculture, and he said that right now Owens Valley's this last year lost the most out of cost, like actually profit-wise. I think there was like a 30% reduction in profit, which is a big hit. Mm -hmm. Because in the Owens Valley, there's only so many things you can really grow. Yeah. So it's not like the other side where it's like you can kind of switch your products, switch your, you know, we could go to a higher, what, almonds or something they can grow over there when they can't really grow it over here because of the, the way you guys would know more about how the soils and whatnot are and then their temperatures and whatnot. So their biggest money is livestock and, and uh, alfalfa. Yeah. And, and we're losing a lot of that. So mm -hmm. have you talked to them as well too? Like any of the leases and things like that? Have you been well, communicating yeah. with them? Oh, Jen, Jen is a leasing, and, and in fact, that is part of the purpose of this space, is to talk to the leasees, and uh, Jen and her husband, Lee, are, are, are leasees. We're talking about you because you Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I guess, um, you know, from a, a tribal perspective, you know, of course we have, you know, interests at the tribal level as far as, you know, water rights and having access to the water and receiving, you know, all the water that we're, um, that Los Angeles has an obligation to provide to the tribes. But we look at it beyond that because, you know, our borders of our small, you know, reservations, 
you know, where we live isn't just within that border. You know, it's the, the whole valley. Yeah. And so whatever happens, you know, to our neighbors affects us as well. You know, we hate seeing what's happening to the, the ranchers and the lessees. You know, um, <clears throat> when the, the settlers came in and they, you know, first started getting ranches and farms and stuff, you know, there was some conflict between the, the native people that lived here at the time. But then, you know, they found a happy medium and it was employment and a new way of, of living and surviving for the native people. And then when Los Angeles came in and bought up all those ranches and stuff, you know, that really deprived them and uh, of a livelihood. But the ones that, you know, remained and then, you know, the, the, the leases that are here now, you know, we like seeing that because that is, you know, they are our neighbors and it's part of the economy of the area and, um, you know, we, we have an appreciation for that. So <clears throat> when we're, like Paul said, you know, we follow the issues closely of what's happening, you know, valley-wide with respect to mitigation projects and water, um, groundwater pumping and, you know, um, the, like Paul was saying, you know, Big Pine Wellfield, that's just like the heaviest pumped wellfield in the whole Owens Valley and it's, it's getting worse and worse. And I would like to see, you know, if there was any um, uh, persuasion with your project is we really need to change the mentality of how Los Angeles views this area as far as, you know, management because they've had this long-standing um, belief that you have to take, 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 take as much as you can take because if you don't take then um, it's going to affect your ability to keep taking, mm -hmm. you know, instead of like looking at it like, well, you know, maybe there's a better way of managing our water so that we can um, protect the thing that we value most from this area. And, you know, one example that I refer back to is when <clears throat> there was that injunction by the court related to the long, uh, the Lower Owens River project when um, they weren't able to export water for a short period of time because that project was behind schedule. And the only reason why they ended up getting it on track was because the judge had threatened to permanently shut down the second barrel of the aqueduct. But during that period when they couldn't export water, they did some water spreading in Big Pine. And I don't remember off the top of my head how much water it was but it was for a real short period of time, just south of Big Pine by the um, those lava fields right there. And um, we have a monitoring well, or a couple monitoring wells on the reservation of Big Pine. And when they were spreading that water, we saw the water table <coughs> stay steady for several years before it started to drop off. And we, that was during a time right after that when we were in a really bad drought. And even though we were in a drought and they were still pumping the same amount of water as they had always pumped year after year, it stayed steady for a couple of years and then it slowly started declining. And so it's like if you could manage your water where you do a little bit of water spreading here and there, different times, um, like every few years or whatever, it has a huge impact on, on water tables. So I, I just wish that there was a way to change that mentality where you don't have to just take as much as you can take. You know, I think they, they feel like if they don't take everything, then they're going to lose it somehow. Yeah, they definitely have that feeling even with my water right, because it's the first independent private water right. The people who have been managing, helping me get the water right, say that even though it's been two years since I got it, 
The middle managers are talking about it every single day. They hate the fact that they don't have a monopoly anymore. Just even one person having one is absolutely against the thinking of the colonization of landscape and water. Literally, it's like been colonized by one agency. So even one fisher is a, a break in the system, which is a fisher that I intend to exercise to the max. Because, I, because I'd much rather do that than build the water bill. Mm -hmm. I'd much rather lose the water rights because of trying to leverage it into consciousness than build a water wheel so that I can give free water to the city that doesn't even understand the value of it to begin with. So it's, it's a bit of a complicated narrative that you guys understand full well, but the LADWP has done for a for hundred years, basically, in different forms, done a very good job of colonizing and exporting water from other landscapes into LA for almost free. It was extremely cheap for, and it worked very well. And so trying to convince people that times are changing and have to change is something that needs to happen not just from this project, but through a growing consciousness between people who live with the water here and people who live with water everywhere. So yeah, it's a, it's a, it's a very complicated um, thing because a bureaucracy doesn't have a human face. You can't, you can't say, I disagree with you, Kathy. Let's have a conversation about it. There is no person who is an organization like that. It's a headless monster. Chris, I'm sorry, Monty. Oh, ma'am? Uh, maybe I missed it, but can you just explain mm -hmm. how you got this water right? Yeah. Not really. <laughs> I can't. I have absolutely no idea how. <laughs> it was uh, from, I mean, probably from, uh, it was like, I'm in, the I'm, grandfather then, way I'm, back? No, 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 I'm an artist, and <clears throat> I got this water right to service an artwork. The artwork is a water wheel which will redirect the LA River into the city. And I believe I got the water right because the city would like to see that happen and to have an emblem of a new period of consciousness about wastewater management. Because the water that will be coming back into the city would normally just go out to sea. Sure. So my understanding of my water right is that what they're getting for my water right is free water for the city and a new emblem for the city of higher consciousness about water management. But I would like to kind of, if that's the case, I would like to actually have a conversation with those authorities about a concession to this landscape which shows a higher consciousness. It would only be a concession I don't believe that my water right can actually change anything significant, but I think it's worth trying to leverage it into some kind of consciousness, even on a concessionary level. Well, we could make a water wheel appear. What? Maybe make a water wheel appear. <laughs> <laughs> and then where did the right come from? It's California. Mm -hmm. It's Sacramento. Yeah, yeah. The state water. State, board. state water board. 
Okay. Yeah. Before he asks, but, uh, going back, uh, yeah. it's our, um, at least my understanding, being uh, in this, this water commission since its inception, that Los Angeles, through their charter, their city charter, only by popular vote or referendum vote of the residents of Los Angeles can uh, have uh, sell, say, or sell or trade uh, LA's waterways. And somehow or another, <laughs> Uh, anyway, I, maybe, I, I mean, I don't know. No, they yeah, did vote on it. They did vote on it, and the and and they they elected to do it. The, the city votes. The city no, the commit the how. No, can you help me out here? Sure. The the way that this kind of came about is that we we had this intention of building a water wheel, and looked at this water in the river and assumed that it was the DWP's water. So we went to them and said, we would like to you know, take a certain amount of water, and it's your water, we think, and can we, can we make some sort of symbolic trade? Like, can we pay you like a dollar a year for this water? So that, and they said, no, we don't really have the, we don't really want to do that, and we don't actually have a rate set for water in the river, and, and the, it's complicated for us to make that, and so why don't you guys just take the water? That's what they said initially. There and it is, we, take it. That's our favorite part. <laughs> this was the higher management of, of DWP, and we said to them, well, this project is meant to be a hundred-year artwork, and whoever's managing the DWP is going to change probably in the next six months, and what happens after that? And so we said, we're not comfortable with that. We would like some other arrangement. And they said, well, we don't really, we can't really do anything. We don't have this rate. Why don't you just go ask for a water right? And I don't think they thought that we would, right. that we would get it. Um, so we went to the State Water Resources <laughs> Control Board. And in the process of investigating this, we realized that actually the Department of Water and Power officially owns all the water up into the confluence, which is the point where the Arroyo Seco meets the LA River. South of there, they never, it was never actually, their water right was never, I don't know if it's called perfected, or if there somehow, there was some, something missing in that, in, in, that their charter. in their charter that that water wasn't considered theirs. And so when we asked the State Water Resource Control Board, they said, yeah, that's fine, and we can, we can approve this if it's not contested, it can go through. So it went to this review period of a month or something like that. And in the meantime, we had also talked to um, the city and the mayor, and the mayor was in support of the project and had written a letter expressing that he was. And so when this review period came up, there was a moment where somebody in middle management at the DWP said, wait a minute, what's, what are you guys doing? And we sent them the letter and said, well, the mayor is in support of this. And they never contested it. So one of the the mayor made a phone call and said he wanted this to happen. Yeah. So and, Yeah. So it did. But so but and they was, basically, sorry, they're basically saying though, with that part of the where you guys get the water rights from, it was no longer DWP's water. There's but, something like that, and I don't understand the full legality of, of that set set up. So that's why I didn't have to go to a whole boat. There are over 47 agencies that had to sign off on this, including from a federal, state, uh, county, regional, and district um, approvals right, just right, right. To, to do yeah, this. Yeah, but, yeah. but the, the important thing is that there was some, you know, there was a, 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 
some voting that, that did happen in terms of the city commission and all of that, but there was also some stipulations that, that the water would be used for a public good, um, that the intention of the water was uh, so that, that the water would be um, extracted and cleaned uh, to standards of irrigation to make it available for, for potentially public um, public parks, uh, city and state. But non potable. Excuse me? Non potable. Non potable. So, but I think mine was referring to though, if it was basically LA city owned though, it would have to go to all the constituents and be on a ballot basically saying if they could give up water rights or whatnot. But I understand where the other agencies had to go and say it'd be like just, you know, people that have a little interest in it, in it. but I think uh, what he's referring to a lot of like when LA DWP has to relinquish water rights or thinking about it, it, it goes up to a whole vote with all the constituents in, in, in the city of Los Angeles. And, you know, I mean, there were a lot of people that were in support of this because um, everybody uh, uh, that was, you know, looking at this understood the importance of, us, you know, taking a portion of water and making it available for irrigation as opposed to letting it flush out into to the ocean. So, so there was, you know, there was a strong support for it from the mayor all the way down through all of those agencies because the intention was something that, that everybody agreed was worth doing. Right, and real quick, you, so it's in your name? Yeah, or is it it's, in, the in, it's, it's in my name personally. Because you're the artist that came up with this idea? And it's because they, <laughs> they only have water rights for individuals, not organizations right now. Except for <coughs> tribes, I guess. But they wanted somebody, you know, and because it, it is an artwork. So, yeah, I mean, it's kind of weird, but yeah. And unfortunately, I just wanted to say, like, the perception of the LA River is that it's a storm drain, basically, and it shouldn't be wasted at all. So that's, you know, that's part of what her her work is about, is like, you know, there is no waste in this water. And, and I think that's why a lot of people in LA, you know, who were in management, don't see it as they're, we're taking potable water or water from you. Or, or wherever from the city because it's just being washed out. Right, so, I agree. So they're like, really this sad. is great. Do something with it. Yeah. I mean, because it, like, and I think they're it's recognizing really that this has to be the way things go later. Yeah. Yes. So to let an, to let an artist do it first means that in a way I'm taking liability. Yeah. Mm -hmm. It's also difficult for innovation to happen in a bureaucratic system. Mm -hmm. So because I came forward with this idea and because I have a 10-year body of work in this location in the city, including the huge amount of permits that it, that it took for us to walk the LA Aqueduct with 100 mules, <laughs> getting permission from the LADWP to actually let us walk those miles of channels and pipes. Um, our street cred was good. Um, so I think it worked, and then on top of that, we currently have a mayor who's kind of connecting his political advancement with progress and thinking about water and water rights. So, so. so I'm not here, I'm sorry I'm talking about you, your relationship with the city of Los Angeles Department of Water is, is fairly, like you said, street cred is good. Yeah. The thing is very well. Yeah. I mean. How do you feel? How do you feel them knowing that 
you're trying to like maybe work with tribes and whatnot. What what that will very proud of that. So so you. I think they already know that. Like, I mean, they've been Marty Adams and people like that have been to our home here in Lone, the studio's home here in Lone Pine. Um, and you know the thing is, is almost all individuals you, that we've spoken to at LADWP think the way we all think. It's it's more of a bureaucratic systems thinking that that's the problem. So the real challenge is how to bring the level of consciousness into systemic thought, because most individuals are pretty conscious. They're trapped in the bureaucratic system. They're too. trapped too. Yeah. It's our battle with our government too. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's all colonized thinking. I mean, I mean, you said that, and I was just like. Yeah. We're all colonized, yeah. you know. We're we're all colonized the water, colonize the land, colonize each mm -hmm. other. Like it's where I think our commonality is we're all in here trying to um, decolonize each other. <laughs> <laughs> and I think that you started the process though. I yeah. mean that's awesome what you've done. Yeah, you it shows that, you know, that there's more than just wasting water. I mean I mean and, and that's what it looks I mean because I, I I lived in, in Silmar for a while and it was hard for me because that's where our water or my family's land and everything is it's coming from so it's like man i had you know like my sixth grade i went on a field trip and it was to the to the there's the, the cat well to the actually the filtration and the the purifying process yeah. and it was like i'm like man this is all our water and i used to tell my friends i pee in that water sometimes <laughs> <laughs> i'm no swimming i had no but anyways, it was like, it was just, you know, it was kind of, I was always yeah, torn, yeah. you know, and, and I think that when I go by Burbank and I go by Glendale, like Silver Lake area, and I see that river, and I just see that water and how dirty and how it's just like, it, it, it's hurtful you know, to see. Yeah. And it's amazing that I don't know where your guys is actually going to set that water bill up at. It, but it's, yeah, it's going to be in the historic core of the city of LA, in right, right where the um, you know the cornfields were, um, right in downtown where the unbridled river uh, was. Between the Broadway and Spring Street Bridge. Oh, right there. Yeah, yeah. Oh, that's awesome. North of downtown yeah. Los Angeles. Yeah. Near Dodger Stadium. Yeah. Near Between Dodger. Um, uh, Chinatown and Lincoln Heights. Mm -hmm. I know right where that's at. Does anyone else want to add in the conversation? Masana? Chris was kept going to say something. Yes, Chris, you want to yeah, say something? Yeah, uh, let's just keep talking about decolonizing. <laughs> 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 uh, I don't know, man. I'm glad, I'm, I'm happy you guys are here. I'm happy you're using your resources and uh, whatever you know, that you have to your advantage to bring awareness because you know our, our land is suffering the most and then we're kind of catching up later with some words to talk about it so if we could uh, speed that up that would be great <laughs> and like I don't know I'm starting to believe a lot more prayer you know I'm starting to believe a lot more spiritually and like mm -hmm. in terms of like these are the things that our people came from before they were colonized these things that were real before we bureaucratized our lives and um I don't know, I'm glad I'm here with you guys because like, I'm in that zone myself as an individual, like, oh, the bureaucracy of living in America versus being a human being, you know, on the earth. Yeah. It's really hard, and I'm, as a 30, early 30-year-old, 30 you know, native person, it, it draws on me all the time. I don't want to do it. I hate it. <laughs> I don't want to do the 9 to 5. I know this is wrong. This is pulling us out of our rhythm of, of 
of our connection to the place. Mm -hmm. You know, how do we uh, get out of the office and, and be together, but be a part of the land? Because that's really what we're all here to, uh, you know, to do and be. I think that's, you know, like you said, you know, we're here for a reason. We're all here to, to, to bring some type of reconciliation at this time that we're here. And it's clearly the biggest thing in this place that we find ourselves. Um, yeah, that's so I don't really know how, what we're going to do. I mean, I feel like on one level, we got to decolonize ourselves before we decolonize the land, which sounds like your, your, your goal, your ultimate goal. I, or at least your starting goal is starting with the people, and maybe they might come up how the people choose to manage the land. I, uh, this is hard for me because I don't. I'm not very good at waiting for things. <laughs> I'm also, you know, that's why I don't like. You know, I'm not very good at choosing a career or choosing a path. It's kind of project by project, and, um, and like the goal that I see in this project of life is like, how do we make sure the water stays here at least? stays here in a way that makes this place healthy, then they can get their water. Like, why do we have to suck it out as fast as possible and kill things without regard for the impacts of the next seven generations? You know, it's so ignorant, it's so hypocritical. Uh, I don't know if it's hypocritical at this point, but the PR is hypocritical, but it's such an act. It's so disingenuous, it's so uh, infuriating, it's, it's all these things, and it's a dead end to nothing. So, how do you reach those men and women that sit at those tables with all that authority and yet have such a closed mind or fear or whatever it is to change because we're on this massive ship moving at whatever speed they're, they're so afraid to turn. I'm not afraid to turn and I don't think my generation's afraid to turn. We want to like break that <clears throat> however it's broken. We want like the aqueduct to disappear so that the land can <clears throat> can replenish and then we'll figure out what we're supposed to do after that because we're so far out of balance. It's like if uh, if this land could come back into balance, maybe we could figure out ourselves again. And that's kind of how do however we move towards that. I'm with that, regardless of who you are and what you look like. So, yeah. Thank you. I like to, to to speak on that because I mean, that's why we're buddies. <laughs> uh, it might have been said a lot nicer by Terry, but um, coming growing up from in Washington and coming in here. Um, to, to see a, a, a totally different mindset and I think culture is important and water is important and the Paiute culture uh, with the water seems to be like this to me um, how to go about it uh, who knows who, who to fight uh, I mean that's a pretty big battle I mean to be a small tribe to fight entities through the core system almost seems impossible um, but uh, since we're small and young and aggressive, I suppose, um, I'm all for pursuing just about any means. Yeah, to be honest with you, I mean, I'm not really scared of getting into trouble too much, you know, I mean, because, I mean, like, I'll kick and scream, you know, if, I don't think anybody wants to be seen on CNN being mean to the trial. Nobody wants to see that. Um, but it, I think if there, there's a mindset um, ingrained through the last generations um, from our people that have their culture completely wiped out. There really is no culture 
we've got lots of elders who don't know about irrigation ditches at all that they existed. And we've had two major cultural losses. So how do we live? Now how do we survive? Well, um, you gotta get your culture back. I think anyway, because I don't want to work at 95. I mean, nobody does. Everybody wants to like do stuff that's fun all the time. And um, honestly, eating pine nuts and like hunting squirrels sounds like a blast. <laughs> As an example, as an example, <laughs> I mean, I would love to do that and be outside all day. Get to wear the hat. Yeah. Um, to do that, though, um, we have major challenges. And, and any kind of life in a system needs a few things to help it, you know, perpetuate and grow. Um, the two things that our people need, I think, are land and water. And we do not have those things. In addition, our uh, what our lifeblood is, what you know, the generations of our Paiute culture now is used to, is depending off of government handouts, which are dwindling, always, forever dwindling. So now we're in a drought, and um, uh, we would love to grow our population and live. Uh, well enough to where we have that leisure time to practice our own culture and not just scrape by. And but we can't grow if there's no room to grow. We are literally landlocked. We have a specific limitation on water and we have dwindling economic resources. So we are dying. I mean, there's no two ways around it. Uh, you can make it sound as nice as you want, but I mean, at a certain point, your excess population is going to die off for whatever reason. You know, we've got drugs, alcoholism, uh, diabetes, they can all be linked to just... Um, Removal from your land. Exactly, yeah, you can't, you can't eat your diet, you don't, have, you don't have the economic resources to provide you with all, all the things that you need to live uh, outside of poverty, or out of poverty. Yeah. Exactly. So, <laughs> how, do you, how, do, how do we go about, you know, grabbing that, reaching down and pulling our culture back? Well, I mean, we can't ask permission. You know, because yeah, asking permission doesn't work. Um, going through the court system, I mean, there there is no incentive for any agency to uh, bend towards the, our tribes right now. Anyway, that I can see. Um, there's no political pressure. There's no economic pressure. They have. We really have no no ammo that I can see to do it. So. Like I said, I'm not too afraid to get in trouble, but we just got to figure out something to... Get trouble for. Yeah, exactly. And make get in trouble worthwhile. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, and whether it be symbolic or not. Well, and then just like following up, like when he, uh, Jesse was talking about culture, you know, I was reading one of Monty's early articles, or first articles that he wrote for the Water Commission newsletter, and that was back in 91. 93. Or 93. And the thing that just sticks in my head is when he was talking about, you know, our connection to, through water and, and the wildlife and the plants and the animals, and he says in there that, you know, way back when, that our people, we could actually communicate and talk to the plants and animals, yeah. and he says, I don't know how that stopped, or, you know, when it stopped, you know, but it did, and so we're trying to get that back, because we still have that connection even though we haven't been communicating. And I like what you said, that you love to grow things, and I think that's a way of nurturing that, you know, being able to talk to your, your, your plants and, and the animals. And 
and you know, I imagine that if they could say something to us, it would be help. You know, we're not we're dying. We, we're not surviving. You know, we need water and and um, we need people to care about us. And, and that was our job. You know, we we had to care for for the animals and, and for the plants and. Um, Can you, can you one? Yes, one. Oh, I just want to say about that, that article and about Maya. What uh, you use the term, I think it was scary. Things are scary. Yesterday, I think, again, thanks to Metabolic Studio, uh, with uh, my. Today, I just started working again with, with the tribal, Bishop Tribal Food Sovereignty Project. And uh, uh, so we got to do some neat stuff. My boss, Jen, mm -hmm. Jen Schlock. That uh, last fall we did this thing we called the ikibi where we pine up mush. We started to bring that back with, with our community, and we had we were able to keep our, our fall time pine up dance that we do. And this we've been talking some of us for years about doing the springtime the way they do up in Nevada. And so with uh, kind of like just. Uh, <coughs> Getting help from our, our food sovereignty project and our cultural center, and uh, and we were able to do this yesterday. Is it today's Monday? Yes. No, it was Sunday. We we did this. Oh yeah. And it wasn't Sunday. probably advertised too much, but uh, but uh, yeah. So my 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 one of my relatives, my older my older brother, cousin brother, uh, he honored me with uh, to talk to our, our people. We had I don't know. A good, a good size uh, group of people. A lot of kids. That was really, really beautiful for me, or you know, for us. Uh, and we all do. We all love our children. Uh, and, and so, <clears throat> what, I, what I said was kind of like what Maya kind of said about we talking about. I used the term insanity. And where we were, we were, we were, we were up in a uh, campground, U.S. Forest Service campground called Bitter Bitter Crush, which is not too far up. To, uh, up the grade, up Bishop Creek, mm -hmm. and and so I was. I made a point about talking about uh, the pipeline, the metal pipeline that LA that BWP uses to channel the water uh, to get it to LA quicker than, than it normally would by going through the Saskatchewan Ravine or down the down the canyons, and, uh, and 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 so it was kind of like looking at it. Insanity is kind of like when they when they when they. Uh, when society allows uh, uh, a region somewhere else to 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 kill, destroy another bioregion, mm -hmm. and so I, I just made mentions because what we were doing there for our ceremony was uh, for the springtime. We were using the water, talking to the water, and my my, my cousin he he, he talking in Paiute about uh, asking for a blessing for that water to take care of the pineus. The pine, and we would uh, uh, the the old the old uh, way was they took a a, a pine branch, a two pine branches with a female and a male baby cone, and they would put it in the in the creek, and, and you know talk about it, and and ask for uh, you know that continuance of water to take care of that crop. So, in fall time, we would be able to have uh, you know uh, pineapples to eat. So that was kind of the the, the basic significance of, of that of that that dance, mm -hmm. that dance, and, and so when he when he asked me to go ahead and say whatever was on my mind, that's what came to mind. Talk about uh, uh, you know us sharing with the, about all these little creatures 
and all these little grasses, brush, whatever, pine trees, or, or, or other, uh, whatever is in, in, uh, in our, our region needs that water to live too. Mm -hmm. and, and, mm -hmm. uh, and, and so when we talk about water on a baby, looking at that map of California, uh, you know, I just learned uh, kind of recently because I was up in Hoopal not about a year ago. And I, I lost a, a friend from here, this reservation, and thanks to Kathy, we're able to fulfill one of his requests uh, for his leaving. And, uh, and I, I got to see the river up there, the Trinity River and uh, uh, the river, the Klamath River. You see what kind of conditions it was in that river. And then realizing that, that I didn't know that they, they, they cut a, a tunnel through those, because I think it's the Trinity Alps. Yes. And they, they take the water out of that natural drainage that, that should be taking care of their salmon and whatever else is in those rivers, and they take it into the for the, the farm corporations in, in Reading. And the other part too is they, they bring the water out of that, that region down into the uh, down to the, the Bay Delta, and then they send it down to the San Joaquin. You know, the San Joaquin River, it's ironically that it's going up north and into the into the, the Bay Area. But they also have a canal system that's bringing that water back mm -hmm. and taking care of the farmers and I think LA too. Yes. And and then we have uh, through uh, our other group of Owens Valley Paiute Shoshone uh, Band of Indians, one of our programs, our attorneys, uh, uh, they were working for the, uh, the tribes up in uh, northern Nevada, Utah, uh, the, the, the Goshutes up around, and, and Las Vegas wants to take, take their water. Mm -hmm. It's just sort of that insanity that uh, and then you could also maybe, uh, we could talk about uh, uh, nuclear energy too. Yeah. <laughs> uh, you know, and uh, I don't know, and, and like I just, I, I guess it's where all we have left now is to revive our, our traditions as Indian people, as indigenous people. Mm -hmm. And share it with everybody else that wants to help us uh, survive. Because I think that's what kind of mode we're really in right now. Yeah, I think we're living in a deeply polarized time and that largely on a systemic level what we're seeing is quite clearly the end of capitalism. What we're experiencing right now is the two largest pointers towards you know environmental degradation and oppression of the people. Those are signs that we're living in a system that is degrading our lifestyle and our and human Benevolence, you know, we're experiencing deep, deep systemic issues. Um, I think when we're talking about like what ways can be looked at to move forward to, you know, working with legal systems is, is so flawed at this point. I don't even know if there's any way to fix it. You know, there's there's not there's no one who's able to fix the system at this point. What needs to happen is that the people need to unite to find a better way. And what's scary is that when you talk about, you know, the people, what what people are we talking about in this country at this point? We're talking about some really scary really scary people, you know, who don't have any connection to the land, who don't have any connection to anything. I, that's a big statement, but I think that what we need, what we need to look at is 
what ways to reconnect people to their cultures, like you've been saying, and what that means. Culture is a really confusing term at this point when we've been living in a colonized landscape that has benefited from the oppression of anyone who is not white, essentially. And that's really frightening. You know, that's that means that culture has been erased on a widespread global level. And that needs to be refounded and revitalized in order to survive at this point. Um, so I think these are all brilliant points, but we I just wanted to bring in the term capitalism here because that's where I'm focusing right now in my life is just like how to figure out how to fix this system in general. So just for time's sake, it's about 7.45. I know you guys all have to drive, most of you have to drive back to Bishop, so we can wrap it up in the next 15 minutes. Just so that everybody... You don't have to go! Try to keep time, because I know some of us have to work tomorrow, and it takes about an hour to get back to Bishop. So, Billy, right? Yes. I just would like to to ask a couple questions to Jaime. Jaime? Is that right, Jaime? Yes. Thank you, my friend. So, um, you say you said in your introduction that you um, kind of I don't say oversee, but you look at all the ways that the Los Angeles Department of Water Power gets their water sources to to uh, LA. So, what other sources besides the Owens Valley do they have right now? I mean, what other? There is the California Aqueduct that brings water, which comes from Northern California through the Sacramento River and the San Joaquin River, goes into the Bay Delta and then gets pumped. That's a system that requires a lot of energy because it needs to go over several mountains as opposed to this one, which is gravity-fed and produces energy. And then there's the Colorado River, which is also a pumped system. And, you know, I think I think it's something like half the energy that Hoover Dam produces is actually used in moving water to the to the Southland. You know, I mean, not just LA, but San Diego and other places as well. Uh, and then there's groundwater. I mean, there is groundwater underneath the San Fernando Valley, um, and there's other groundwater basins um, that some of which are being tapped. The San Fernando um, Valley has been heavily polluted because of the aerospace industry and what's that? Carnage, Lockheed Martin, and all that. Yeah, yeah. I mean, the aerospace industry really took off in Southern California, yes. um, and you know, there's a lot of contamination that was dumped in those early days when there wasn't the awareness and there wasn't the sort of environmental regulation. So there's huge pockets of contamination and the Department of Water and Power in the city are um, doing everything they can to pump up, suck up that contamination and then treat that water and hopefully try to reduce it. But in the meantime, large parts of that aquifer aren't usable. But there is still pumping of water that goes on. In fact, even in the area that I live, which is around um, Eagle Rock, Mount Washington, Highland Park, mm -hmm. there is a, that's a contained aquifer in and of itself. And there is a sparklets plant mm -hmm. there, which pumps groundwater. Are you serious? Yeah. yeah. I didn't know that. Yeah. 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 So there's, there's basically three aqueducts that feed Los Angeles. Like Jaime said, the California Aqueduct, the Colorado Aqueduct, and the Los Angeles Aqueduct, which is which starts here. And then, so just like in terms of the the amount of water that comes to the city, 
Um, those three aqueducts provide about 80% of the water of Los Angeles, so about 20% is, is um, groundwater. So I mean, you can see that, that, that you know, um, the, the, the means to procure water from outside the geographic area is like, it's really extreme. So are they doing a lot of recycling though, Luan, like stormwater runoff <laughs> or they, anything like that? There is a huge focus on that now in the last, I mean, probably in the last 10 years that's been ramping up. Initially there was very little um, communication between all the different departments agencies, and agencies right. like you had sanitation and then you have BWP and then you have stormwater management and they weren't really collaborating and talking to each other rather they were kind of working against each other and now there's a lot more working together but there's still some huge hurdles so that, for example the, um, the treatment plants there's two treatment plants on the LA River that treat sewage water to a level where it's basically drinkable water um, but because of political um, um, hurdles, they can't use that water for drinking water. Even they can't even put it into the ground and let it settle into the aquifer and then pump it up and use it for drinking. Even though that would be the best thing to do. With it. So what they are able to do at the moment is they have a purple pipe, which is a, a recycled water pipeline, which are which is um, it's recycled water and it's you know it's highly chlorinated and it's totally clean from a bacterial standpoint, but you know, it's got, and it's going to places like golf courses and parks and whatnot, and that system, is, that network is spreading throughout the city. Well, I, I, I ask that because, I mean, I think that's probably going to be one of our, I don't want to say arguing points, I'd say for the whole Owens Valley though, is like, finding other resources for them to, to get water, because that's like one of their, they're always saying that, you know, this is our water, that was kind of what the whole port, you know, they try to say how low the water usage is, it's like the highest ever for LA, I mean, not usage, but it's like the one of the record setting where a million people has populated so far and the water usage has been the same, it's like 100 gallons, 106 gallons per capita, you know, so it's kind of, it's kind of just like something that I would like to see, like, are they looking into, you know, asking them, are you guys looking into some type of rainwater or or even going into the ocean and, you know, desalting, desalinizing the, the ocean water? I mean, and I know that can get into a lot because who owns the ocean? <laughs> I mean, so, so, I mean, I, I get to the points, but it's just like I kind of wanted to see I mean, but I guess the Colorado River, I feel bad for them too because they're just getting. But one of the one of the things that's really interesting about the, the water in Los Angeles is that the city has to pay for its water from the Colorado River and from and from, from, from the California but not here, and that's because they purchased the land and the water rights with it. So that when it comes to water in Los Angeles, they want to get it from here. This is the cheapest because it owns the land. They don't have and to the pay for the water, yeah. Yeah. and it is the best quality. Yeah. Lauren's making an important point that like the, the water coming out of the Colorado River and the delta of, of the Sacramento River and the San Joaquin uh, River is compromised terribly compared to, they call this like the champagne water because right. it's coming snow melt right, right out of the, the mountains. And then like you said too, and the, the cost, because you said they're pumping from both of those other aqueducts, I mean pumping is 
It's not cheap. We'll add to that. That the, the California aqueduct, because it does have to come over all those mountains, it puts out more pollution than the Owens Lake ever did. In, to get it down there. But the, the, to add the explanation of this crazy world, it's a zero net um, system because it uses it, but when it goes downhill, they make electricity. So they say it doesn't cost anything. They're not counting on the pollution. But, um, you know, but that's, so what, are they, what have they solved? Yeah, they're doing something with this, but but creating that. That's awesome. So, so as you guys' as metabolic studios being based in Los Angeles, do you guys like are looking at ways to also help with their water supply? I mean, you know, not just because we're getting sucked in the river drop. I mean, but just because it's like, you know, something to really like look into, like well, we're, we're looking, what we, what we call it is a, we're looking for post-apocalyptic strategies. So we're looking at what, what, how would people live if their credit card didn't work anymore? But the assumptions that we make living in a city like Los Angeles is somehow trading your time for a salary offers you buy-in to survival. But that only works as long as the ATM works. Right. The minute right. that that goes, you're right. in a completely different game. And what we've been trying to do at Metabolic Studio is, is to create the paradigm shift we want to see in the world. So we're, we're looking at behaving as if these strategies are of use to ourselves as a community and to people who want to participate in them with us. In my mind, this is the best place you could possibly live for, for the world when the credit card doesn't work, because at some point, people are going to dismantle the aqueduct. Oh, yeah. So it's just a question of when. It's either going to get dismantled by itself, or people are going to dismantle it. Um, the mountains will always be the place that there's going to be more water here than there is going to be in the Southland, and it's really a waiting game until um, that happens. Till that happens, um, after you know, 15, 16 years of living in Los Angeles, I'm pretty horrified by the numbers of people that just on blind faith assume that it's an intelligent place to um, live in, and and assume that you know all systems are go. It's not. We also there have a complete breakdown in terms of civility. In terms, you know, by not having any public transport, or you know, it's it's a pretty um, off the charts, uncivilized, dysfunctional, dysfunctional place um, to live. Right. So what am I doing here? I have no idea. But but what? I'm sorry, don't let me interrupt. No, 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 please. When you're finished, let's have a to rail on the dysfunction of things. So the Metabolic Studio has really tried to invent that paradigm shift, you know, live it, be it, you know, um, and we call that practice a creative practice, well, an art practice. I love how you refer, reference it to like a bank account and money because at my tribe with my water program coordinator, we, we also have been referencing it to that too. It's like a bank account that's gonna end up running out and running out and you keep taking from it and then yeah. finally you're like in the negative and it's like there's nothing left. You, you, and I mean, that's how we re reference a lot of things too. 
And I like how you use that metaphor because it's really easy for like people, I'll say like me, that, that, that talk layman terms, like basically straight, straight to the point where it's like there's a bank account, you have money in there, and then you keep spending, and then it's like you have nothing left, and what do you do? I mean, yeah. I mean, instead of talking, you know, more sophistication, <coughs> right? yeah. I really think that's awesome. I think awareness and, and things like that is a, is, a, is a big part of it. And also mm-hmm. practice, you know, yeah. awareness. Practicing. Awareness is one thing, but to create practice. a practice, right. you know, right now what we're doing is getting ready to receive wastewater by taking an old tow yard and removing tarmac, scraping away the base, and letting the seeds rebound, and discovering what it means to observe nature heal herself, and to help facilitate that transformation in a public way. So, you know, that, that can be called nothing other than an art practice, because it's Art practice has to be like check other on your box. <laughs> what are you doing today? You know, it doesn't fit into any category. You know, we call that an undevelopment. You know, just taking care of return, trying to return the ground and the seeds and the moisture that's available to some kind of living system, and then discover, hey, that's a lot of work. As soon as you uncover the tarmac and the base, the seeds that pop up are not the ones you want. <laughs> They're the invasives. <laughs> so whose labor is going to take those out of the ground? Right? But it, it takes a lot of work even to get to that point. So that's what I mean when I say awareness is pretty much useless without a practice. So that's what the studio's been doing. is creating practice so that awareness can follow even for ourselves. So um, I was invited on a whim, I guess, because they were traveling through. Like, Shannon, you want to go to the movie? I really am prepared for this, and I had no idea what we were going to talk about. But um, you've heard like just a little bit of our challenges and some of the water fights that we're going through. So your intention is to, like, what, get inspired? I'm very inspired, don't need any more of that. (laughs) Um, It's to start to put together a strategy for uh, leveraging my water right uh, to have some kind of ask of the LA DWP here in the Valley. Some kind of tangible thing I can say, okay, if I'm going to be uh, going through the labor of bending the wastewater channel, back into the city and distributing it to a network of parks, I would like to ask you to consider X. What is that X? That's what I'm trying to do. So you know that the tribe has a, a land exchange agreement, the three, three tribes with the Los Angeles Department. Can you tell me more about that? I know a little bit about it, not a lot. So in 1939, we set the BIA signed with the Los Angeles City of Modern Power for some traded tracts of land that we had. So they signed off and they kind of vague our reservation boundaries. So we get four acre foot of water per acre for each reservation. And so I, what I'm trying to say is basically, yeah, what, what I'm trying to say is though is like our water rights are kind of, they're kind of set right now already. So it's like, the only, the only trouble we're really having is like not getting our full allocation. But I think more or less like what you're, you're trying to do, which is awesome is like, 
touching bases with the whole Orange Valley, and I think <coughs> even though we're you know tribes and things like that, we we're, we're the big pine pie tribe of the Owens Valley. So I feel, and my chairperson can also that we have to look out for the whole Owens Valley, just like Terry said. Yeah. And, and a lot of it, if it's getting back to the Owens Valley, yeah, is 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 like a is a win for us even. Yeah. You know. So I think that. So figuring out how to create that ask, because you know. The Owens Valley, you know, getting back to the Owens Valley still requires some kind of ask. Oh, of course. You know, and I get what you're saying. You're trying to get a strategy down the same Yeah, okay. Hey, 100 I? acre feet for X, you know, even as a com, just get a conversation going. Because again, they'll probably say, why? You know, why would we do that? We don't even want, we'll just take your water right away, you know. But that's, yeah, that's I mean, that's a real possibility. But you know that's that's okay with me. But but it would it would it's still it's still about finding that right ask. And you know we've been talking about whether that would be pasture land that would be a preserve for you know living things of well, all kinds. You know that they want to do like thirty percent reduction for all of the leasing land. I do. I I do. So it's like usually we get about. And that's a they huge said forty-seven thousand acre feet, and then from that one they're going to subtract forty-six thousand seven hundred. So then they subtract; they're going to subtract thirty percent less, which is like thirty-one thousand. And, and I feel bad because it's an effect all and it's, all, and it's like we've already got ranchers moving out, we've already got people leaving the valley, and it's sad because of it. So I just think that that might be the niche to focus on. Well, keeping the water here is yeah. definitely a need to be focused on. So Terry probably would have Yeah, I think, um, you know, like I'm hoping, like somebody had mentioned earlier, that this is the first, you know, conversation, because we definitely would like Need more. to come back and, and talk more. And certainly the tribes can, you know, talk amongst themselves, with, you know, with some ideas. And, you know, like at the top of my head, like I said in my, earlier in the conversation, you know, even, you know, getting them to commit to doing a little bit of water spreading, you know, here and there, rotational basis would be huge for us. Mm -hmm. And and you know, they don't lose that water, maybe a little bit to evaporation, but you know, it goes right back into the aquifer. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So um, but but yeah, we certainly would like to talk more and have, you know, other ideas and um, you know, like Paul said, we're all about the whole valley, but of course, you know, the tribes have specific needs as well. And I think Jesse did a really well Good job on, you know, talking about how we're basically dependent because um, the the small size of the reservations. I mean, Bishop is the largest, and that's eight hundred and seventy-five acres, and you know, Long Pine's got what two hundred thirty-seven acres. Mm -hmm. And as far as like reservation land goes, that's crazy. I mean, the tribes that we work with, they have crazy small, like tribes, they have, you know, thousands and thousands of acres, hundreds of thousands, and, you know, square miles for, you know, their reservations, so they can do things, they can, you know, they have cattle, they have um, other economic um, resources, and they have land for housing and for growing crops and, um, you know, industry or, you know, whatever, but we don't. I mean, we don't even have enough land to house the people that would love to live here and be connected to their culture and practice their culture because 
there's no place for them to live and to learn and to do that. Yes. So, you know, there, there are real immediate tribal needs as well as, you know, needs that we see as being part of this, this landscape and part of this community. We've hit our capacity. <laughs> we yeah. have adult tribal members with no homes mm -hmm. because they can't afford it, because they can't get a job mm -hmm. to pay for the livelihood to live in their homelands. I mean, we're in those places now that 100 years ago they created the situation. Mm -hmm. 80 years ago, actually, I mean, land exchange. You know, expecting that, <clears throat> I don't know if expecting this would ever get worked out. Probably not, but here we are. And uh, that this faux pas of a document 80 years ago is affecting us today because we have to follow it. Mm, you know, how, how do we avoid it and start fresh? That's not really an option, unfortunately. Mm -hmm. or, or, you know, I've told someone accountable for, for supposedly representing us in that type of a deal, but here we are with uh, uh, 1,300 acres amongst all three yeah. tribes in the valley. Wow. <laughs> No, 1341 with the three tribes, and then Factor Ford in, demanded into that, that's like, what, 1,500 and... Yeah. There's a little tracks Timisha, that's got a little bit of land down <coughs> there, not technically Owens Valley, but, you yeah. know, they're part of our county, and... I mean, it's, it's all part of this grander insanity, which we're all fortunately aware of here, yeah. which is everywhere, which is, you know, our whole state, our whole country, our whole... Our developed, supposedly developed world is in the grips of, you know, and, and how do we uh, combat that to some degree? I'm thankful we're all working on this local in the valley, what are we doing here? But, I mean, it all comes back to land, and I mean, as a tribal person, the means that I wish we had was, well, there's a thousand acres for sale, which never comes up for sale, let's go buy it. That would be the most obvious thing. In a world of enough money, it would be to buy every square inch of potentially open, available land and do this dream that we're talking about on those lands. You know, let's recycle the water and sustain it and, you know, keep that water in one place as long as possible and all those things. And that's, I mean, I, I know that there's, I know that the 1% and the elites exist. That's why I'm like, I know there's nice people in the world. And that's why I'm like, let's let's connect and let's make these things happen because even if we only have small uncolonized portions on a colonized land, it's, we're, we're starting somewhere, to start. you know, mm -hmm. even if it's, like, our, our small reservations is our, our goal to start with and that's tiny as it is and that's, we got a long way to go there and uh, at the same time, like that's our <coughs> utopia that we're envisioning because at least DWP is, uh, you know, we have our little buffer zone of sovereignty yeah. to some degree. <laughs> How do we stretch that and utilize that as, as strong as we can? Break law. Breaking. Fantastic. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. We'll make everybody aware it's eight o'clock. We're not mm -hmm. rushing anyone out. We can continue this conversation, but I just want to make you guys aware it's eight o'clock. Monty, you want to comment? Yeah. Almost. Uh, just maybe solution-based uh, directions. Mm -hmm. Uh, we just got done with the permaculture, a two-week intensive permaculture, and some of us who participated, uh, we did. Uh, uh, for I guess to, to get our little certificate, we had to do uh, do uh, a presentation based on uh, permaculture design, and uh, and so kind of going with that, uh, uh, my question or uh, I was told uh, there was a delegation from the LA area, whether it be the city council or the DWP commission. Uh, Andy Lucas mm -hmm. with the tree people. Yeah. They went to was it Australia, New Zealand, or somewhere mm -hmm. to study uh, or to uh, to look at a project. And uh, 
And so the idea of kind of coming out of that, it's just, uh, I'm an old permaculture, not, not that I uh, call myself that, but I, went, I did a, a program some years back in a reservation in, in Nevada. But, uh, uh, but more recently, uh, this term called Hugo culture mm -hmm. is something that uh, just really kind of got me uh, thinking about how we could use, that's where you use probably uh, tree matter or vegetation with, with soil and to start your, your crops and really from what I read and also there's a documentary I think in Portugal that uses method and, and you'll see uh, how we can uh, uh, bring it here this Hugo culture project and, and I, I know because uh, because of my age that when you have your microclimate in effect and you have your local storms your regional storms it, 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 it was way, way different when I was a kid as it is now. So I'm thinking if we're able to uh, recreate the vegetation and uh, regenerate our, our microclimate, that we can have, uh, we can help LA build, uh, uh, improve its watership. Because that's one thing I think they, they, they like what was brought up, they, they somehow they haven't figured out that you know uh, they're they're destroying their watership basically. Mm -hmm. yeah, how can we by destroying this one? Yeah, there's yeah. there's they're like um, coexisting symbiotic uh, yeah. systems. That's very interesting. They're so disconnected that puts it in a positive spin. Right. Sorry, but I just wanted okay, to say one thing, ahead. and that is the main problem that I've had in discussing any kind of thing like long-term systemic planning for the future is political time and, and, and glacial time don't have an overlap in these conversations. Yeah. It'd be interesting to figure out how to make plans that have those overlaps in mind so that incrementally things move in the right direction instead of the wrong direction. No, I, I've just been thinking about, you know, there's a whole other water rights issue that we haven't even touched on last night, and that's our trade and land water rights and, and yeah. stuff. And, and we're being forced by the federal government to settle that water right. <coughs> and that's what I've seen lately. And, you know, they talk about the, the 39 agreement and how we're stuck in that. And they were, the BIA negotiated for us and decided what was best for us and everything. And that's, and that's what they're still trying to do today. And we're like, excuse us, we're all grown up now, and I think that's the most important thing in the world, is that you see now people standing up and saying, this is wrong, this is how it's supposed to be. And, and sometimes we feel like we're, we're so little and who's going to hear us? And... Um, I learned on the Owens Lake, trying to fight issues out there, that a small group of us, you know, trying to talk and do a thing, and they didn't want to listen and stuff, but a small group became a large group, and we actually stopped what was going on out there, made them stop and look, because they were just kind of, oh, they'll go away if we ignore them, and they found out they couldn't ignore us, and, and, and did get our way for a second there. But I didn't find out till later that that went clear to the state. The governor said, 
do something down there. Mm -hmm. You know, and I was like, whoa. <laughs> and, you know, you don't realize that that one little ripple can cause something good. And and that's what, you know, with a ripple in LA and a ripple up here, we can really change this whole system. And that's what I believe. Maybe yeah. we should be doing more negative um, advertising, you know, showing the, the deadness and all the hurt. More of that. Show them, make people aware, more awareness. Make them sympathize for us. <laughs> but then you, you become a, a pity case, you know? Mm -hmm. It's like, I, I think it's more effective to say, here's what we're trying to do, because this is the situation. Yeah, you need to make them aware that this is the situation we're looking at, but here's how we're going to make it better. Mm -hmm. And that, that's kind of how I look at things. And I, on, the, on the Owens Lake, I've really developed a, it's like people. Every person from DWP I work out there is just like on my side. Mm -hmm. And so then they've come to see how being on my side is saving them. And I'm in the middle of a big battle right now because, they, and I'm not talking about everybody in DWP or the organization as a whole, but um, it's okay to cut down those hundred year old bushes over there because we're growing new ones over here, which they can't get to grow. <laughs> <laughs> and they're using tons of water. But we need to cut those bushes down to put gravel on them. And I'm like, you know, why are you, you should be encouraging vegetation, not chopping it down for a temporary solution. You're creating an environment of high maintenance that one day when nobody's here to take care of it, it's going to cause bigger problems. Yeah. And, and DWP sees that, but they go to Great Basin, who they're mandated under court order, and Great Basin says, no, that, dense, that, that vegetation isn't dense enough, so you've got to cut it down and grab it. Really? Yeah, mm -hmm. and yeah. that's what I'm in the middle of right mm -hmm. now. Wow. <clears throat> yeah, so here's Great Basin, the big company that saved us from the air is now destroying I see I see the last year they did that with the reeds that very they've done it over and over out here on the lake and I and I've just had I said no I've had it. I've had it and but I'm like running around by myself so anybody wants to come help me <laughs> And that's the crazy world we live in. Yeah. People that you think are your enemies are trying to help you. The construction company doesn't want to do it. They don't even know how to do it. And, so, and that's the only thing that's, that's given me a little time here. i got to get Great Basin to buy in. But um, they just see the computer screen is all they look at. And, and they don't have any comprehension of all they think about is air and their science that I think is very questionable. And um, and they don't think of how what they're doing right here is affecting this over here and this over here yes, and exactly. everything. And it's really scary when you have people like they're that. Empowered to do and that. they are empowered to do it. Wow. And they don't and, take responsibility. And DWP is mandated by, by these three ma methods of mitigation of, of shallow flooding, vegetation and gravel so they just said well DWP, we've got to do it so we're going to put down the gravel dwp is not allowed to even question them yeah they can't if they go into them and say well what do you mean by this or how do you do this they go are you questioning what you do because they can slap fines on them and stuff i do and that's and that's so it's left up to the tribes we're the only ones who can speak up and say no you're not doing that anymore against great basin against great basin.
That's fascinating. Uh, that's a good point. Phil, he's he's a lot better. And you can talk to him at least. At least you can talk to him. Ted, Ted would sit there and tell you everything you wanted to hear, and then throw you under the bus. Ted, Shady, Ted, Shady. What a great name for him. Yeah. And yeah, it was really scary working with him because he didn't care a bit about cultural resources. No. Now he's a consultant on the salt and sea. So if you know anybody that oh, no. oh, 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 what a mess. Did he care about water? Or is it just a gun and No, it's all about the hair. It's his career. And his career. That that was probably his career. So yeah, so it, it is a, it's a really crazy world. Kathy, what is Great Basin? Is it a is it a nonprofit? Is it no, a state? It's, it's, no, it's federal. Well, it's a state entity it was, it under the EPA. Up, it was set up when the lawsuit happened with to EPA. manage the air quality control. There's several districts right. throughout California that are all um, uh, air pollution control districts. Mm -hmm. so California's broken into numerous. There's La Honton, there's Great Basin, there's a number of them. Um, throughout the state, okay. and their state agencies that were whose formation was mandated by the feds. I see. When when this phase nine and ten started, there's BLM land in it, so yeah. so there was a whole thing about CEQA and NEPA and all this, and and BLM is like, well, who's the lead agency? <laughs> and the DOT said, we're not. We're being forced to do this. Great Basin was like, well, we're not the agency. Well, we're EPA says. Oh, we're never the lead agency. So nobody has taken the role of lead agency out there. Because EPA stands back and disowns itself from even though Great Basin is under them. So the whole thing doesn't make any sense at all. And that's when government fails people when no one takes responsibility. Exactly. Right? So who do you talk to? Marty? Some of us gullible fools like myself. Because of the, the region, uh, the region line? Director yeah. is, is our friend. He's, come, he's, uh, he's been down here when the, the movie, the Chicago movie, uh, came along playing. Uh, Jared Gulenthal. And, and anyway, I just I, I have that sense again, like uh, to be gullible as heck. And I just think he's a, a, a pretty. I, I I have a sense he's our ally, but I've been fooled before. So maybe I'm just kind of throwing it out. You know, what can too. we? Uh, I'm sure he's just uh, on somebody's uh, screen too. You know, even though he's pretty pretty high up with you know in, in the EPA political he, system. Yeah, but he did resign early though. Huh? He's a political appointee, and he could have stayed on until after the election. But he chose to leave. Yeah, he's resigned. Also, it don't matter whether he's a friend or not. He's, he's, <laughs> he's, he's got connections. You know, he's a person where he said, "Use me, and I'll, you know, I'll give you." You know, I've been in meetings with him where he's like, "Okay, you know, we tell him some of our issues and concerns," and he gets out his phone and he's like, "You need to call so and so, and this is their number, and they're the person that you can talk to about this." and you know, and then this other person can help you with this, and you know, I know this person works on this. You know, so he's real, you know, action oriented, and and, um, and I don't think he worries about politics too much per se. Um, you know, he left his job early to hike, do a solo hike on the um, Pacific Crest Trail from Mexico all the way up to Canada, and he's 
Conversation. Um, oh, wait, what? We were Get it transcribed and okay. send it to all of you, right? So that we can read over what we've said and then maybe it's not for any public distribution, but when you have a kind of brainstorming first meeting, it's good to kind of look back on something and maybe in uh, some time we can regather based on our own notes and review where we've been to and then chart a course forward, you know? It, it's like there's a bow of the ship and the water right got us to kind of think about what can be done, right? Yeah, but from, from, from that, there's all kinds of ripples that right. may not have anything to do with the bow of the ship right. that are still worth, I think, us pursuing together. And I, I also just want to acknowledge that this is the very first meeting in this new space. And I thought it was really, really oh, nice. wonderful. And I wanted to thank Jen for putting the space together so beautifully. Um, and also, what a great thing for people driving by or walking by to see a group of human beings having a conversation together. Uh, it, it's a very interesting paradigm shift, right? To be in a public, public space just having a conversation. So um, it's been a really meaningful um, first step. So thank you very much for for joining us and we'll, we'll do it again. I think it's the beginning of a conversation that we can have together and separately. Please feel free to reach out. I know Alan knows how to get a hold of us. Yeah. Chris, you know how Cameron does, does, Cassie does. Pick up the phone. And you know, maybe also next time we can also come to you or yeah. get out of the feather so that because I would love to 
to see your, your environment. Statements about uh, capitalism and uh, I don't know if I was said this said like this, but the corruption of of uh, status quo politics, you know, with maybe the legal system in the United States, and whether or not you know with, with these upcoming elections, are we going to campaign together? Or I never voted in a, in a, in a United States election in my life. I, I sure like to like to maybe vote this year and probably mm -hmm. vote for Bernie Sanders if mm -hmm. he makes it that far. Yes, he right. really inspired me uh, with, with the, uh, the other night he was in Salem, Oregon. Sure. And, uh, you know, because he said some things that were pretty meaningful. And the other one, you know, like, uh, again, you know, uh, when I mentioned uh, the NAFTA Institute group, uh, one of the late uh, founders, the late Dan Bomberry, he, he was our Indian education director back way back, and he said, if we could ever unite the Indians in the valley, we could control the Owens Valley. And I really kind of believe that. Mm -hmm. And probably would help, probably in, in, in the bigger picture, I've seen at least three big big issues. One was uh, the MX missile system that was happening, gonna happen, uh, almost happened in Nevada, but uh, Indian tribes in Nevada and the rednecks in Nevada got together and they stopped that. And uh, hopefully the rednecks in the, in, the, in the state of Dakotas and the, you know, the, the Midwestern states and wherever, wherever that, yeah, that uh, exile is a pipe, that yeah. oh, yeah. pipeline is yeah. uh, being planned. Uh, maybe that, you know, I know All the tribes are going to be in Washington. I see coalitions in the, uh, yeah. in the past, you know, uh, and uh, maybe this is going to be one of those hardcore coalitions that's going to revolutionize uh, our future. Yeah. Yes. 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 <laughs> <laughs>